2: Hello, I'm Craig, and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. In today's episode, I'm joined by a football writer and editor of The Set Pieces, Chris Evans. In our chat, I find out what it's like to be a football writer, combining freelance work, feature articles, and book writing. Chris also talks more about The Set Pieces website, which was relaunched in 2020 during the pandemic, and expands on its plans for growth in 2021 and beyond. Later, and as always, I asked Chris to pick out three of his favourite football shirts and tell me a little bit more about what they mean to him. Remember, you can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow, share, but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by a freelance journalist and editor of The Set Pieces, It's Chris Evans. How are you doing, mate? Hi, oh, yeah, not too bad. How are you? Mate, all good, thanks. Great to have you here. So um, so glad you've been able to make the time. Uh, really excited to find out a bit more about The Set Pieces today too. Great, absolutely. So, um, Chris, I-, I read that you studied sports journalism at university, but initially your career kind of took you in a different direction, right?
3: Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I uh, first of all, well, I did quite a bit of freelance stuff when I first um, graduated or freelance in the sense that I used to go and report on uh, Stratford Town for £30 <laughs> a match. Um, I used to follow them away um, and I did a few bits of the press association. But yeah, that was always looking for a, a, a real job, I guess. Um, right. And uh, yeah, that, that while I did a lot of, uh, of writing, it, it took me to kind of like a content agency rather than doing anything football
2: okay and is it kind of like it's a written job as well in, in your agency world too then
3: it is yeah so it's like magazines websites and the like um basically any project that needs some words for it but it's more kind of editorial and it's feature writing rather than copywriting for example but um right. yeah so the, the the skills are the same basically
2: so you were freelancing for a long time and then you took the leaps to kind of do like a half and half thing so you're doing football writing part-time and then you're also part-time in your agency work as well what what did it take you to make that leap was that quite a daunting thing for you to do um i mean it wasn't it
3: wasn't so um i always knew that i wanted to make more time for it but it was always tricky to decide when that tipping point would be so um i'd regularly done um features primarily for 440 because they were That's the magazine I've always read, I've always loved, um, and it was always probably suited my style a little bit more as a a feature writer than kind of like some of the newsy things. Um, I then decided that actually if I was going to make the jump, I needed to find more time. So I actually moved to another agency um, and people that I knew and spoke to them and we came to a deal that kind of worked and it meant that the risk was much lower if I'd simply just like cut days somewhere else for example Mm. Um, and then during that time I filtered that down and down again um, based on based on what I've done.
2: Right so what kind of publications are you freelancing for then you mentioned 442? Um, Yeah so 442 is the the main
3: one that I I do things with which uh, kind of uh, accounts for the the lower Twitter following that I have because one it's great working in print and I love getting it through the door, I mean, people online don't see it um, and i probably be quite on there too. Um, but yeah, I do, I mean, I've, I've, I've done bits and pieces for quite a few of the, the national newspapers, but we, you know, the Independent, I did something over the summer with, um, the Guardian obviously put some stuff out too. Mm. Um, so it, it really depends on where the stories are, but as I say, 442 is the main, the main area that I do something with.
2: Right, okay. And you mentioned that a lot of the stuff you do is kind of feature-led. I, I read that you said that one of your strengths is actually finding out the kind of niche or, like, maybe less less obvious, and kind of more quirky stories in order to kind of uh, put yourself out there a bit more and give you something a bit, you know, show a bit of difference in the market. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think this actually helps going through
3: the agency world um, a little bit because you would work on um, different magazines or newspapers in particular that were for very specific audiences. So um, I did something for a a data management company before, and you're thinking, how am I going to make a a bi-monthly 16-page newspaper interesting when it's just boxes of files? But actually, if you knew where to look, you could find stories. Okay. And because you get used to having to find gems out of pretty much nothing yeah you go to something that has got such wider appeal like football and actually yes there's the big stories that are great and I I love watching the Premier League and all of that myself anyway but actually you go further down especially in this country because of like non-league there were some absolutely brilliant stories that no one would touch and no one would see necessarily Mm. Um, and you could just dig them out and sometimes you your nose kind of makes you follow something and you
2: you realize you've got an incredible story nice nice so aside from the kind of feature stuff as well I read that you've actually you've interviewed some quite big names in football as well so I mean just to reel a few off I've got Jeff Hurst Jamie Carragher Rio Ferdinand Luis Philippe Scolari what kind of time do you get with these guys as a journalist who's given them an interview is it often kind of rushed or do you actually get a bit of time to get to know them have a coffee with them and understand a bit more about what they're about
3: It depends on what the project is um, and and what it's for. Um, Normally, you find that if you've approached somebody for an interview and they like the sound of what you're trying to do, um, they will give you quite a bit of time. Like they'll happily sit there and chat with you, um, whether it be on the phone, whether it's a video call, whether it's in person, but they will normally chat with you because, um, you know, essentially these guys, they love football like everyone else. And it just so happens that they're really good at it and they, people just know them they're just normal people really um so they love chatting about it and talking about their experiences and their memories particularly the older guys I mean you do get some um obviously with um some will come through sponsorship deals and they'll have like you'll have set times um, and you're doing like 10-15 minutes with them and that's obviously a lot more quick fire um but also I mean the way that they answer is a lot different as well because they realize you need to get a lot from it and they're used to that so they'll give you quick answers
2: whereas some of the other ones will give you a big a big long feature answer interesting interesting so so much depends on kind of the route in i guess and what they're trying to promote too
3: yeah yeah and and look i mean people people love talking about things that they've done and if they think that you're taking a different angle or if your approach is talking about a different detail that they haven't done um then that's great i mean you also get some people um, I remember he really stood out kind of interviewing Scolari um, two or three times. He thanked me for my time and he thanked me for doing something with him. Wow. Um, and I was asking him about why he'd lost 7-1 to, uh, to Germany. Um, and he was thanking me and I thought, this is incredible. Like It definitely should be the other way around. But, I, you know, it all comes down to the individual. Some people are great. Some people aren't, I guess. So um, yeah. and you won't normally be interviewing the people that aren't. So.
2: Yeah, and people get good days and bad days as well, right? As well, so, you know, you might catch someone on a bad day, and the next day they might be a lot more polite, a lot more considerate. So, yeah, fair enough, mate. I was going to ask you as well, so you've written a book and you're in the process of writing a second book at the moment. I I wanted to know, for you as a football writer, in terms of, like, the, the approach you take to writing an article, especially the feature articles you write as compared to a book, what the differences might be for you?
3: I mean... I find I find when I'm writing a feature, if I know what the word count is in advance, um, without thinking, I can end up more or less within that ballpark. Right. Um, I know a lot of people um, I, I speak to who also do things or will, you know, write for the set pieces will say, oh, they've gone well over the the word count. It's just not somehow my brain doesn't do that. So having that number, it kind of feels its way through, if that makes sense. That sounds yeah.
2: really... It might sound a bit wanky, but um, well, it's you like know. riding the bike, I guess, isn't it? You've kind of done it so many times and that's your bread and butter, isn't it? Writing those articles, I guess.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And it just you just find a rhythm with it. Um, with a book, it's a little bit different because you're very conscious that you've got more space. And particularly the first one that I wrote, I think you kind of you feel that that means that you should write with a little bit more filler and you're probably a bit more florid and i think that's actually something that you've got to get over and i think actually the first one was very niche it was it was a a very small one with about loughborough university football club which is a good story um but in hindsight i mean i did a feature on that four 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 two as well and actually the feature was a lot better than the 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 book probably was because it forced me to be quite succinct Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you go on to the second one. I think you actually because you've done the first book, you learn from those mistakes and it's almost going out there and having done that the first time actually teaches you what you should be doing the second time because you've had a chance to look at it and review. Right. And I guess it depends on the sort of person you are, but um I look back and I'm quite like critical of myself. So I always look at what I've what I think I've done well, what I don't think I've done well. So right.
2: yeah. All a process, I guess. So Chris, do you want to tell me a bit more about the set pieces? So you're the editor of the, of the website.
3: Yes. Yeah. So the set pieces, um, because he has quite a, a vaunted history and the fact that everyone knows that it used to be, uh, Ian McIntosh at the helm. And yeah. he, uh, he was obviously, um, a championship manager legend. I mean, uh, <laughs> Boy, if you didn't, if you haven't seen what he did at Goodison Park, you should go there. <laughs> Dan's <laughs> closing around him. He was, he was brilliant on there. And I think that was the, that was the basis of what, what the set pieces was. Um, obviously Ian, Ian moved off and did, did other things. Um, and essentially we've now got, um, the, the site was quiet for a bit, but we, we decided, I'd always written for them, but we decided that we wanted to relaunch it and, uh, no, well, done. We, well done to us. We decided that we we're going to relaunch it April 2020. So uh, <laughs> we have done all this work and then relaunched it right at the start of the COVID uh, like pandemic. So that wasn't great, um, but we've always tried to keep to those same basis of what made the set pieces popular before. I mean, we've done a couple of really nice football manager projects before and tried to do it in a quirky way. So rather than just yeah. um, replaying, a season, like everyone does now, we tried to do something and work with football manager to do. Um, it was a fans' vote, so the fans voted and made the decision. Um, was what we did with one one of them. Um, yeah. Another, we got coaches during that first lockdown. We got some professional coaches to come together, um, and we did like a draft game um, to see who would win. And I took part as well and wasn't very good. <laughs> um, so that's been really good and we try to make sure that we do that i mean we've we're now looking at, at different niches obviously the world has changed an awful lot since um ian started it so <clears throat> we've recently launched like an indie podcast network um so looking at some of the the indie podcasts that are out there and the brilliant work that people are doing um like yourself and we want to try to get that give that a bit more of a, a voice and use our audience to amplify that so right. Um, that's that's something we're looking at now we're right at the the, the start of that um so we've got a, a band of 12 um as we speak today uh podcasts we want to grow that a little bit further um we want to get more people kind of engaging um with that and hopefully that's good for everyone you know um if people come to us to find a podcast um that's a little bit different to kind of like the big ones yeah. um then that's great and hopefully they'll find some others too
2: nice so Chris, in your in your role there as editor, are you commissioning articles as well? It's very much kind of like a feature led thing, isn't it, and project led thing rather than news stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's always feature wise. I mean, we can't compete um, news wise with stuff. I mean, we're not going to get the clicks. Mm. Um, we're you know we're we're never going to be able to do that um, as well as the the big guys. And um, so we don't even try to compete right. with that. Um, we do look. Um, features so that we look at quality over quantity so we'll be looking at um what stories do you think people will really want to read what's really interesting and not somewhere else yeah. um that means we're not necessarily chasing hits all the time we're chasing what's going to be interesting we want to have that sort of um subsection of the the football fraternity i guess um and i think that does work i mean this is what leads into doing indie podcasts in that sense because again that's normally working in niches and we feel that football's such a big a big beast that actually niches is an area where where there's there's some ground to be made up.
2: Nice. Interesting mate. So where so where can people find it? setpieces.com?
3: Ah, uh, yeah setpieces.com.
2: Yeah and you're on Twitter, Instagram?
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah twitter twitter's the best one to to go to um we are on instagram we did some great stuff on instagram um but we do rely on the uh, the designer um for that um which is it's quite tricky because it takes us some time to put together what she has but it, it's worth having a look over on the set pieces of instagram because there's some really nice stuff that we've done over there
2: coming up after the break chris shares his football kit memories see you in a bit
1: Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
2: Chris, let's talk about some football shirts. Let's do it. So, every uh, on every podcast, I ask everybody the same question: What do football shirts mean to you?
3: Um, I mean, I don't think I mean probably on the wrong podcast to say this, but I don't think (laughs) I have a clear affinity in terms of the style of certain football shirts. Um, I've always been fascinated by the teams. The colours are something that really that jumps out, but it's not really a sort of a, a style thing. I mean, maybe it's just because none of my, you know, my team that I follow have never really had an amazing, you know, shirt. Right. Um, so it's it, perhaps that's where it comes from. That If I was a, a fan of a big club and they'd done something really nice, then maybe I'd be more into it. Um, as a non-league fan, maybe that's why I've, I've not got that same affinity. But it's more what the teams that wear the shirt mean to me and the players right. and stuff like that. And I think when, when I was thinking for this podcast about which ones to pick, mm. it was more about what it made me feel and think and remember rather than perhaps like a, a style thing
2: yeah well mate that's very much what the podcast is all about so you picked out three really interesting ones to talk about uh we're going to talk about a popular one it's uh, england's home shirt by umbro for euro 96 tell me more
3: Yeah, so i mean it's a bit of a an, an obvious one i think a lot of people would pick it but it was just i think it was that tournament and that england team that that made me really fall in love with football uh, I mean, 1996, I must have been eight years old. Mm. Um, and I think I just started to get into football a little bit. Um, I remember trying to watch the, the 1996 FA Cup final um, with my dad on TV. And I mean, I, if anyone remembers that, it wasn't a great final between Man United and Liverpool. Right. Um, and I think I went out and played in the garden for a little bit. And dad um, <laughs> called me in after Cantona scored. So, um, that, you know, I was into it, but it was struggling to grab me. But during the Euros, that was the time. Um, I remember I sat and watched 90-minute games. Um, and, you know, one of the big memories is being at my granddad's house and watching Paul Ince get fouled, um, I think, against the Netherlands. And um, I, I remember he got up and he was getting hugged by, by his like teammates. And I said, well, why, why is he getting hugged? He's just been fouled. Surely that's a bad thing. Yeah. And they were like, well, he just won a penalty. And I couldn't get my head around it. And it's <laughs> always stuck with me that I just didn't get it. Um, but during that that few weeks, it just... Grabbed me and I, I remember I had to go to bed um, before you know during extra time in the semi final. I mean, yeah. um, and then I remember because I was still awake upstairs. I remember my dad came and fetched me, um, which I really thank him for now um, to sit and watch the penalties and uh, and and Germany to to win. But I think I mean actually by losing in that way, I think it was like the perfect grounding. If this was my my way into football um, to. <laughs> to go through it with kind of like heroic failure probably set me up quite nicely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, by, by 98, I was in, I was, I was completely sold and everything, everything was about football by then.
2: Nice. No more playing in the garden during the games. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so look, we're going to, we're going to travel forward a bit more further in time for this one, but it's a bit more niche this one. So this is Nuneaton Borough's FA Cup shirt from 2006. Um, it's Enea, it's the uh, manufacturer. Tell me about this one, mate.
3: I'm an Edinburgh fan, um, although I don't have so much of an affinity with them anymore. Um, you know, I don't... Ch- I, I, I still support them, I still follow them, but I don't follow them home in a way and support them in the same way. Um, okay. Partly because of my job, but also because of what's gone on at the club over previous years. So um, you can see articles like that I have written in the past. Um, okay. Pieces. So that's that's a good one to have a look at. Um, but back then I was, I was a teenager and at 17, 18 years age, there was a few of us that kind of went home and away um, to all sorts of places. Like I went to Gainsborough about four years um, wow. and I don't think anyone would ever go to Gainsborough otherwise. I went to watch games there, I used to love it. Um, <laughs> and it was just this idea of traveling to somewhere that was different. You could get served when you're a teenager at some of these wow. outposts and um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Um, the FA Cup run then came just at the right sort of time for that. Um, and we'd had a little run when I was back at school, played Stoke City and beaten them. OK. Um, but it never really – we'd never really been that much of a cup team in my time following them, aside from that run. Right. Um, and this just took off. So, eventually, this shirt that we've got was the one – it was only worn twice. Oh, right, And um, that was in Middlesbrough in the um, – in, in the third round and we drew 1-1 at home wow. and then we went up to, to Middlesbrough um, and lost 5-2 there and it was a, a special Virgin Money shirt that I think was sorted out sponsored by Virgin Money and it was a special edition for that so oh, a bit of a collector's wow. item but not probably for many people outside of Neneen I wouldn't have thought <laughs> um, but yeah it was it was, um, it was was great and I think it, the whole run and that, that shirt reminds me of that run and I mean we scored about Four goals during that run from from the early qualifying rounds that we we scored in last minute um, oh, wow. you know, equalizers winners. Um, Histon in the second round um, they absolutely battered us. Then we went up the other end and scored a header, and we won not in the, like the ninety third minute or something. And we were they printed scarves Histon versus Middlesbrough scarves um, <laughs> and, well, <laughs> useless. Um, I mean they had their moment against Leeds, didn't they, a few years later, but. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's any any way that you like to see winning um, and beating a team is when they've already printed the team they're going to face in the third round and then they lose. Um, but it, it was just brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it was just everything about it going going to these these places. I remember um, going away to Tiverton after the day after my 18th birthday, and we I went on the bus all the way down to Devon. Wow. And uh, it wasn't great. Like I just sat sat on um, these bus seats. I had a double seat. and My mates are around there. I was like, I'm just gonna have a double seat and just try to sleep on this. this <laughs> but um, it was great. I went to every game on that run. Um, and being a college, it was good because I could be kind of flexible and make sure I get to these away replays because we kept on drawing and have to go go away to these places. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's everything that a football fan's about, really. Because um, you've got that excitement, you've got this moment where you were kind of like on TV when we, we got the, the late equaliser against Middlesbrough, Gouge Southgate, handballed it. And, uh, really? wow. you know, we, 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 should have, um, we should have beaten them that day. And I remember going up to Middlesbrough and we, we all stopped off, all the coaches, all the club coaches had to stop off at Thirsk. Um, and I was convinced, I was convinced that we were gonna, um, we were gonna win at the right. Riverside. Um, and I think we held on for about half an hour. Um, before we conceded and then conceded five. But um, I remember it and just I was convinced because of what I'd seen. I think Middlesbrough had lost 7-0, 7-1 or something like that to, to Arsenal like on the Saturday. Mm. And I thought, this is it. We we can do this. And it, um, I mean, it didn't happen in the end, but the fact that I'd convinced myself that a sixth-tier team could go and win um, at a club... I mean, Steve McLaren went off to be England manager after that season yeah, and they went yeah. to the UEFA Cup final. And I, I'd convinced myself that we were we were going to win. Um, wow. And it was just, it, it was brilliant. And what made it better as well was a, a friend's coach um, that they were on uh, broke down on the way back. Um, so they were stuck on the motorway and we were all just waving as we were passing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the magic of the cup, mate. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so Chris, your final choice is the Manchester United 98-2000 home shirt by Umbro. I think this one was worn specifically in the league, wasn't it? So they had a different one for the Champions League, I gather, during this I career. think
3: so, yes, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first two were were really obvious choices for me because of what they meant to me. But I think this shirt, um, I don't know. I was starting to think, well, what, what would I pick? Do I pick something a little bit different? And this one always jumps out. I mean, if I look back on that era for the, a kit, that jumps out. And maybe it's because Man United were the team at that time and obviously they win the, win the Champions League. Um, but I just remember um that late 90s that I'm sure they marketed it as something like the kit with the zip yeah and because it got a little zip on the top and it got like a little leather thing and a bit of you know I don't know some soft fluff or something at the back of it to make it comfortable and you kind of think about Roy Keane wearing that now um yeah but you you look back now in 2021 you think they were marketing a zip as a reason to buy a football shirt (laughs) I mean that's a reason to pick it in itself I think um, yeah. I mean I know it's probably the time of like Deodora Poppers and stuff like that so I don't know whether just like finding a way to take things off was like a really really big thing back then yeah. Um, but yeah it just just leaps out to me as something perhaps a little bit different and there's something that just kind of yells that 90s era and again those, those Premier League boom years I guess when I, I really really fell in love with football and has probably led me to, to where I am today I'd imagine um, in a sense and it's, it's that it's that kit that kind of Always makes me think of that time, I think.
2: Yeah, mate, very nice. It's an interesting shirt. I think, you know, someone will probably correct me after we put the podcast out, but I, I think that's quite a unique design. I don't know if that was templated elsewhere and it was kind of like Umbro didn't do the Umbro diamonds down the sleeve for a long time, I don't think. So that, that was just something very unique in the zip as well. So you're right, it's, it's something that definitely stands out from the era, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, no, I think so. And I mean, all those players that played in it, I mean, they were, you know, the. I, I always think if I look back at that time, I would think of someone like, you know, Yap Stam or David Beckham or something like that. And I think they're, these are just people who, I guess, of, of, of my age, the, they were the players who you grew up with. And I, I know they always say it's how it kind of sort of like first cut is the, the one that kind of stays with you. But yeah. that era was my era, I guess. And that's what, what as a, as a kid, these guys were like the, the biggest and best players in the world and you know actually still about they you know they genuinely were and yeah. you know that i think that's that's why that
2: that kit kind of jumped to my mind no mate fantastic i like those choices very much so look chris thanks so much for sharing your football kit memories with me and um, where can people find you on twitter
3: um so i'm at chris evans wright um so right as in w-r-i-t-e mm-hmm. um yeah I'm on I'm on there um, and obviously set pieces as well at the set pieces um, on Twitter as well it's worth a, worth a go to see what we're up
2: to fantastic mate well, absolutely brilliant to talk to you thanks a lot mate nice right, one so no worries thanks for having me on so there you have it massive thanks to Chris for sharing his football kit memories with me Remember, you can follow me, my own collection on Instagram, or get in touch on Twitter or email. Make sure you follow Chris and check out the set pieces too. The music you heard was produced by Eva Led. You can check out his music on his Bandcamp page. There's links to absolutely everything there I've mentioned in the notes section. And finally, thanks to you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word. Give me a follow on social and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on your podcast player of choice. Sharing is caring. And other than that, I guess that's it. Until next time, I'll see you later.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more